Hello and welcome. You are listening to Stuff You Should Know About Therapy. We are the number one podcast for seekers of mental health. We offer roughly quarter hour bites of therapy that you can finish in one sitting and take with you for the rest of the day. My name is Matthew and I'm a marriage and family therapist as well as a certified family life educator. The most valuable thing in our lives is attention. And I thank you for giving me yours for this podcast. I hope it serves you well. Let's get in to today's episode. Sweet, it's recording. Um, okay. So yeah, so I just kind of want this to be really easygoing, just back and forth conversation, free flow and obviously no script, nothing like that. Uh, so why don't you start off by introducing yourself, Taylor, and kind of your background and your story and what led you here? Wonderful. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, my name is Taylor Foreman. I am a writer and I live in Los Angeles. I'm from Louisiana originally. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know that was a thing when I was growing up. I grew up in a town of about 2,000 people. Oh, wow. And um, wrote little stories and stuff, but ended up going and studying philosophy and traveled around a little bit and worked in marketing because that seemed like a good way to make money. But then I quit, came to LA and I've been writing and I've been finding wonderful clients like you writing stuff like this makes me very happy. Uh, we get to write this podcast, which I guess if you're listening to this, then you know it. Um, so we kind of work together on that and that's kind of developed into what I consider, I guess my business model is, um, I like to be really close to my clients. I like mm -hmm. to, um, it's kind of like a, I guess I call it like a spiritual partnership where it's, um, I try to get to the bottom of what you're about, um, and honor that. So I've really enjoyed working with you. I've enjoyed writing this podcast and, um, it has kind of been a nice little launch into to my little career. And, and also I do comedy out here as well. Um, so nice. Are yeah. any of the, probably not now since California has had its second closure. Um, mm -hmm. but are there like virtual comedy clubs or just improv clubs or is, is that all completely shut down? That's a great question. So the groundlings is where I was at. And it had I, I, it has shut down like the rest of the theaters. And you know, to be honest, who knows when these things are going to open again? You know, mm -hmm. who's going to come to a theater to be spittled on? Yeah, anytime soon. But since the close, and actually, our show was I think the last show on the main stage of the Groundlings before it closed down. Oh wow! And since the closure, we've I've been lucky enough. I kind of found a mentor through the program, and. So she's been doing kind of private classes on Zoom. And so in that kind of class, we'll have like people who have kind of made it pretty far. So I, for example, I have like Chloe Feynman, who's on SNL, sometimes comes by on these Zoom classes. So that's what I've been doing the last three months during this uh, as far as comedy. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so we're able to still kind of keep up in have that quick wittedness and so we're not losing anything. 
Um, uh, it's complicated. <laughs> Sometimes I, you know, it's hard to get in your body. Mm-hmm. And it, for somebody, you know, whenever you're doing comedy and stuff, if you want to, especially the Groundlings, where the focus is character um, and trying to embody different points of view and stuff, it's really important to, and especially for me, I'm a heady type of person. I, I like ideas and stuff, and mm-hmm. so doing different characters, I really need to be in my body. So whenever you're just staring at a screen, it can be difficult to get into a physicality. Yeah. And it can also be difficult to know when people are laughing, even though you know there's a delay, and then if more than one person laughs, you can only hear one of them. So mm-hmm. that's a night that's like in person, that's that's such a wonderful feedback mechanism for any kind of storytelling. Um, and I'm always equating like comedy with the rest of uh, storytelling mm-hmm. traditions just because um, whenever you draw people in with comedy, whenever you're a character that makes sense, it, you know, it has an improv. We have like a who, what, where um, rule. And it's basically, if you don't establish who you are, where you are and what you're doing, and the audience doesn't get that easily, if it doesn't digest easily, then they won't laugh at you because it's just too, they don't know what's going on. Yeah. So it's, it's like quick storytelling. You're putting it together very quickly. And the laughter is a recognition of folly i guess it's like you're not going up there to be funny and that's like the biggest easiest thing you can do wrong i'm rambling a little bit but that's fine you're not going up there to be funny you're going up there to try to tell a story it's like you're going up there to try to do your best to paint the mona lisa but you're an idiot so you can't do it and the audience laughs at that and they'll laugh if you're they'll laugh especially hard if you're genuinely trying to to put the scene together to make mm-hmm. it make sense, not to try to be funny. So they laugh at your faults, which is also like what's so brave about it as well. It's, in my opinion, it's like, um, it's, they're really laughing at your shortcomings Yeah, because you're trying, you're trying to tell a story and, and the, the humor is that you, you, you're doing it on the spot, you're making it up and you just can't. Um, so your little style comes through and the style just being your deficiencies. And I think that's a wonderful kind of like uh analogy for life yeah no i like that i like that vulnerability that you kind of alluded to of you're going on stage knowing that people are laughing at those faults and when we're trying to color inside the lines and when we go outside and i'm sure with with comedy Mm -hmm. especially with with improv it's so important to read the room right yeah. And like you said, you, you gauge it off of the laughter, off of that that back and forth banter that's really there with, you know, for me, it would be clients. For you, it would be the audience. Do we ever f- focus on that one person who's just sitting there with their arms crossed, stone face and saying, all right, I know I've done my job when that guy's on the floor laughing or when he cracks a smile? That's such a great question. I have had moments like that. A lot of times with improv, you're looking at your scene partner. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of connecting with them. So there's less sometimes of that outward facing, Mm -hmm. but I, the last show that I had, I did some sketches and I was kind of looking out on the audience and I had even had some audience interaction Nice, where pulled them in and, and, there were, the person that I interacted with was one of those people who had his arms crossed and was just kind of not having it. And um, 
I kind of he he never laughed. I mm-hmm. think maybe he was in a bad mood or something. But I had the audience laughing at him, which at later I felt bad because it was, you know, you're up there and it's a panic move. Oh yeah, you know, like um, you've got a hundred people looking at you and you you've got to do something. And this guy's I'm like pointing at him. I'm talking to him and he's like, yeah, uh huh. And I I think I just I don't remember exactly what happened, but I made a joke about him and then took a bow. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I almost went up to him afterward and was like, sorry, I picked on you a little bit. I think I'm sure he was fine. Though. Um, but I do think about the audience mm-hmm. and I think that comedy is the, you know, is the, the rawest form of that audience interaction is cause, cause you can't, if you don't get the laugh, you haven't connected. Yeah. And, and that's like the simplest form of feedback. But I think that's true for everything. You know, we, we write these mental health things and mm-hmm. I have, I have a genuine passion for, for mental health and for, um, people feeling better, mm-hmm. um, through, you know, whatever means we go through different topics. And, um, but the feedback I think that I rely on or that I love is that, I, you know, I write something, I kind of write it just from, I kind of improvise it. I just kind yeah. of, I read during the day and whatever, and then I let that stir. And then I sit down to write the podcast scripts and I just let it come out. Mm-hmm. And I am thankful that I can be like, Matthew, if, like if you don't, if we're not on the same page or the same wavelength, like let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. And I want to, I want to figure out, you know, where you are. Definitely. Um, so I do, you know, rely on that feedback. Oh yeah. You, uh, so you mentioned that you have a degree in philosophy, uh, and I'm just kind of wondering, I mean, when I tell people I have a degree in family therapy, it's one of those, oh, that's not common, you know, Mm -hmm. just like you said, you were in marketing. That's a lot more common than having a philosophy degree. Uh, so what kind of got us interested in philosophy and how do we use that both in our storytelling in our comedy just in life i think it's a wonderful base i would recommend people do it to to at least understand the basics of it mm-hmm. um but for me i came from the small town i didn't agree with everything that people thought in that town but I didn't really know what else there was out there. So when I got to college and I took the philosophy 101, whatever it was, and kind of got the inclination, it's like, wow, this, these are the most brilliant people in history. And we just kind of, they, they kind of tried to figure out how to think and how to be. And we can kind of learn from that. It seems like mm-hmm. an incredible thing. And I, as soon as I got out of the class, I went and changed my major and never looked back. And, um, I guess it just teaches you, it teaches you how to think. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm sure any discipline can do that, but it's just like such a raw condensed version of that. It's just like words about words. And, it, but the thing about philosophy also is that it's kind of like up its own ass. I don't know if, if I can curse on there. I forget. Um, now you're good, but it's, uh, it's, Philosophy, a lot of times it's it's academic, it's philosophy for its own sake. And so short after, shortly after college, I, I, I really love the ideas and I 
but I wanted to communicate them and, and nobody was interested because it's just, it's so esoteric and, and whatever. And mm-hmm. So I got into storytelling and I started writing my first book and I just poured over all these like Stephen King's on writing and all this sort of thing and trying to figure out how to tell a story. It, it didn't come easily or naturally to me. And I started doing improv at the same time. I just got interested in every form of communication that got through to people because I was, I, my life had been so changed by ideas. And then when I went around to tell people, you know, you get blank stares and it was important to me yeah. to learn how to tell a story. Um, so, it, but even in conversation, I tend to still tend to be talkative and not, um, you know, salesy. Mm-hmm. How? Go ahead. Uh, I forget what the original question was. <laughs> no, it was just how. Uh, how is the degree in philosophy kind of uh, right. helped with your writing? Kind of maybe guided it or or not? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that whenever you're writing something, I think you have to go deeper than the reader is willing to go. Mm-hmm. Um. And bring back something. I, I mean, this is like the classic hero's myth. It's like you go down to the depths, you go down to the unknown, and you face a dragon. You bring back something to the community that's worthwhile. That's, mm-hmm. that's like what the hero does. And I think that that's true with knowledge. I think whenever you're communicating something that's important to you, I think it's as the communicator, you have to go deeper into the to the ideas than the listener is needs to go and you have to have a lot of love and, mm-hmm. and because you know people are interested in different things and so if you can condense if you can if you can distill um these wonderful ideas into packages that people can just like like we do with the 15 minute you take something with you along you know and you think about it throughout the day while you're doing oh, yeah. whatever i think that that's incredibly valuable and i think it's i think my job is to go deeper than anybody cares to because mm-hmm. that's what i like um, so yeah, that, I think the philosophy is the, is the, is the part of the idea that's not a story that, that by itself in its raw form that nobody cares about. And, but I do, uh, but I try to bring it out of those depths yeah. through a, through a story or through kind of colloquial talk, mm-hmm. um, to make it valuable to, to everybody who, who is interested in other things. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. I, for me, I come from a what's called a postmodern uh, philosophy of of therapy, uh, which is a lot more personal, a lot more, uh, like you said, storytelling and giving examples and showing people that they're not alone in whatever they're going through. And a part of that is, like you said drawing from all these different inspirations and going deeper so we have those stories and we have those examples to say yeah i get it i understand what you're going through just like you know this happened or that happened you're not alone for sure for sure and i think i think that stories even in general are are therapy um, in the sense that it's, it goes down to the depths of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we realize that 
our form of neuroses or suffering is not unique to us, that it's been happening since people have been writing things down and that there are archetypes mm-hmm. for, for everything and that, that they come out in the TV that we watch now or the books that we read or whatever we're into. Um, but that it's not, it's not only entertainment in this way that it, it it's, it's, it's crucial to who it's food. We, yeah. we need it. And I think little, I think adding little, you're not alone, little stories, things that you've picked up. That's, that's like so natural to who we are as a species. And I think mm-hmm. that if you're allowing yourself to not be, and I know that you don't come across as distant in any way as a therapist, that you allow yourself to be a storyteller, yeah. you allow yourself to get in the muck a little bit uh, and to, to let them know that they're not alone. And oh, yeah. even if you're just using examples as much as you can, um, I think that's wonderful. I don't think that it's, I don't think, you know, just like with, with, you know, medical health as well as mental health, it, there's this, there's this sterile yeah. sense that, Things, you know, things need to be white and square. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's like, that's like kind of a platonic ideal or something. And it's, it's not, you know, we're, people get better quicker in beautiful hospitals. And that's yeah. true. And I think that that's, that's not just true for visuals. It's true for love and connection and, and presence and engagement and storytelling. And um, I think it's vitally important. And you know what? It's people are dying and and not to be dramatic, but people are dying at an alarming rate because of, you know, suicide and and mental health related things, not just suicide, but, you know, I mean, what isn't mental health related? You know, the the obesity epidemic and, um, you know, my brother died of a a heroin overdose just Mm -hmm. to be, you know, frank with you. And, I don't think that that's trivial and I don't think that it's his fault. I mean, you know, there is aspects of character mm-hmm. that could have helped him if he had certain aspects of character, but that's, you know, that's up to the community. And I think that, I mean, it's lovely what you do to, as a part of the community to, to try to give people um, that. I mean, you must feel good about that as a, as a vocation. Oh, ab- absolutely. I, like you said, I, I, I'm in a profession where uh, I remember the first time I went back to California uh, to visit my parents after I had graduated. Um, my wife and I were sitting at the breakfast table talking with my parents. And I was wearing a polo shirt and jeans and flip-flops. And I told my dad, this is what I wear to therapy. Like, this is what I wear to the office. And my dad couldn't kind of grip it because he has that, well, you need to be a professional. You need to be in a three-piece suit with your hair back, you know, wearing the glasses, just saying, how does that make you feel for an hour? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I laugh with clients. I cry with clients, you know, you name it. I help the clients feel what they're feeling. 
And it's important, like you said, for them to know that they're not alone, that other people are going through this, that I can use personal stories, personal examples to say, hey, I get it. You're not alone. You're not the only person in the history of mankind to go through this. And kind of another point that you made that I think is very essential to the mental health conversation is mental health is a part of everything, but we only tend to discuss it, acknowledge it until after a tragedy. Right. I, I'm sure your brother, for instance, after, you know, he had passed away, I'm sure that's when the conversations of he should have gone to therapy. If only he had some help or someone to talk to, he might not have overdosed. You look at, you know, just bigger picture with not to get political or anything, but with the mass shootings and things like that, yeah. it always comes down to the person was mentally unstable and they should have gotten help before this happened. But whenever we talk about going to therapy or mental health before situations like that, it's always stigmatized. It's always, oh, why? You don't need help. You shouldn't go to help. This is something that you can do on your own. Mm -hmm. So mental health is in this really tricky catch-22, damned if you do, damned if you don't situation and the point of of this podcast like i've talked to you is to destigmatize it and bring it into a normal conversation because it does affect every aspect of everybody that's living right now it completely does and it's we're we live in a world where we're hyper stimulated by things that are just i it's it doesn't ex, it didn't exist for most of the, the time that we've been here on mm-hmm. earth uh, as a species and like we need help getting our diet straight for example that wasn't true when we were hunting and gathering yeah um and now it is because we we don't live in that world anymore and the world in that we do live in, we have to, we have to put in some effort to be free. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to exactly put into words, but you know, it's like the, the Aldous Huxley like conceived of a a dystopia and, and the brave new world where the, everybody was fine. You know, everybody was taking these pills and everybody had their perfect cast in life and it was horrifying, but everybody was happy. Mm-hmm. And it, like that's such a beautiful novel because it's, oh, God, like, things can go horribly wrong with, with things, with people seemingly, you know, fed and content yeah. on the surface. And that's kind of what we're dealing with is like we're overfed, we're over-entertained, we have everything. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that is missing for a lot of us is we actually have to whip ourselves into shape now we have to do therapy we have to do self-care we have to meditate because life isn't serene on its own yeah 
anymore, at least anymore, because because before the pressure to to survive came from outside, you know, and so we were mm-hmm. we were on the move, and now now that comfort is is key, the pressure to be happy and healthy needs to come from within because if not, we'll crumble. Um, and yeah. And so I just, I mean, I think about my brother and I think about you know, what's going on and I just think that it's a, it's a, we have, we've, we've paid a lot for the progress that we've made. You know, every gift has a, has a price and, we have to pay that toll up front. You know, we have to put in the work mm-hmm. so that we're okay because life is, is not going to test us the way that it used to. Yeah. And so, yeah. So to end up not like my brother, I, you have to, you have to put in the work. I don't know how else to put it, but yeah, I, I just, I'm passionate about it, obviously. No, I like that. The, the putting in the work. Cause like yeah. you said, we're, we're so, far advanced in our comforts and there's literally a pill for everything. And a lot of times people will say, Oh, I have depression. I have anxiety. I'm just going to go to the doctor, get on this medication and then it'll fix it. Uh, And granted, I'm not knocking uh, the pharmaceutical industry in that aspect. I take, yeah, I take antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, but I also work on it, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, medications are a good stabilizer and a good way to help me naturally come down. But it's up to me to put in the work. I can't just take my antidepressants and say, oh, I'm good. I'm fixed. I took my, you know, pills this morning. It's all right. I took my pills and I'm actively going to the gym. I'm increasing my relationship with my wife. I'm still doing those actions that are required to make the pills work. Right. Right. And do you find that that you've come kind of, does it get to a place where you don't need them anymore or is it just kind of, a continuous thing for you. I, I'm actually not too familiar with how, how that might play out. No, I, I've definitely come to uh, certain points in my life where it's like, I'm good. I don't need these and I'll go off of them. And then life is life. It'll kick you in the ass. And then yeah. I might need them again for, you know, a week or a month or whatever it is to to help me get back on track. Uh, but I don't use them and I don't see them as a crutch or a fix-all. I view them as something that's temporary, that is going to kind of kickstart those chemical rebalancing. And it's up to me to see it through. That's great. I, I, we don't, we're not given a, a very good handbook for life. I was... Um, reading recently that the education system was designed in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget exactly when, but basically it was designed after factory work. So that's why there's bells and why people are in little rows and stuff. Okay. And it's designed to kind of get people ready to work in a factory, um, following orders and 
that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that's the way that we were all educated. I, I yeah. assume that you were traditionally educated, and um, it doesn't really suit our world anymore. So this this uh, fixation on memorizing dates, like how many? You know, I don't remember a single one of them, but all these historical dates that we had to memorize and stuff like that. Um, and instead, why why didn't we learn? You know how to self-reflect, how to have yeah. relationships, how capitalism works, how to save mm-hmm. money and stuff. Um, it's, it's incredible to me that, you know, it's it, not to be, you know, dark or anything, but it's, it's incredible to me that we're functional at all, that the way, how quickly the world has changed, yeah. that we're able to, that people are out and about, that they're okay, you know, and a lot of people aren't, but it's amazing to me that most people are. Well, I, I think a lot of that too is we're just on the autopilot. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, we're we're taught these things in school, and we're we're taught to essentially how to work, and right. that's it. We're not necessarily taught how to think or how to increase, you know, the self. So I think a lot of it is just we're on autopilot. And we know we got to get to point A to point B to get said task done. Are you are you familiar with uh, Yuval Noah Harari by any chance? I am not. He's a, uh, I believe, a sociologist or a psychologist. I forget okay. what, but he's uh, he wrote a book called Sapiens, and it's, it's about humanity. And um, I just the reason I bring it up is this because this quote, like, I don't know the exact quote, but it's mm-hmm. basically. It's more important now than ever to know yourself yeah. because Google is at the point where if you're on autopilot, like you were saying, Google might know more about you than you do. Oh, yeah. And so if that's the case, then you're sold. You, you are at the mercy of whatever forces want whatever from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that future... Uh, it approaches quickly. Um, and it's so incredibly important to become conscious yeah. to, to know, to know thyself. Um, it's in and, and kind of paradox, you know, people have been saying that for thousands of years, but mm-hmm. strangely it is becoming extremely important. And I think people are aware of that because, it, because as you and I know, mindfulness is taking off and yeah, you know, all these wonderful things, therapy i mean what 40 years ago therapy was kind of a naughty word is a four-letter mm-hmm. word definitely so now people are you know much more willing to to do that but there, there is a lot of work to to be done i think nope i i definitely agree uh and it does like you said that we have that dark reality of of the what ifs but mm-hmm. if we continue on this form of self-discovery and this form of truly a, a, another enlightenment where we're coming into that knowledge of yeah. of the self and, you know, meditating, going to therapy, making sure that we know who we are as opposed to just what we are uh, can only be beneficial and I think kind of enhance the future of 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 mankind. Totally agree. And we kind of burst out of unconsciousness, Mm -hmm. you know, with uh, with humanity at least um, 
mythologically and, and for, for you, I think in your faith, um, you know, we, we ate the apple. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, the, the, of course the knowledge of self, I mean, mm-hmm. and we became self-conscious and that's a beautiful, uh, story. And there's no going back. Yeah. That we can't, we can't, and some people try desperately. And then that's what heroin and alcohol does mm-hmm. is it, it puts you back into pre-consciousness. Um, and that is a relief because consciousness is, is, is quite a curse. Uh, you know, it is, it's an incredible gift mm-hmm. and that's what all the, the Harry Potter books are, are about is like it, it, consciousness is the word, you yeah. know, that I think the, that's like a, the word was like some had given some incredible importance in, in, in the stories in the Bible. But, um, in Harry Potter, they literally say words and it, 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 it manifests these magic spells. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a perfect metaphor for, for humanity and, and its discovery of language and the power that it gives us, the incredible power that it gives us. And if you're not careful, you be- can become obsessed with it and you can, and exactly like Voldemort did, I'm constantly talking about Harry Potter. Um, he tore himself into pieces. It, literally, he tore his soul into pieces to, yeah. to prevent himself from dying. And he became like a snake, you know, and, and that's also wonderfully uh, visual. Mm-hmm. And I think that that power, the, the, the solution is, of course, is not for Harry or us uh, as his, you know, that's, he's kind of like a Christ figure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for not, it's not for him to go back into pre-consciousness. It's, it's to go more conscious. It's like to go just hit the gas and, yeah. and you, and, um, to, in a leap of faith as well. And I, I think that's the position of faith is that, is that Christ and then Harry, Harry confronts Voldemort in the woods, knowing full well that he'll die. Mm-hmm. Um, he accepts his mortality even with the knowledge of it. So he knows he's going to die and he accepts it anyway. He confronts it head on. And that that's the way forward. He's resurrected. So, I mean, that's the way forward for us too. It's a wonderful story um, because, and, and not just in our literal death, I think it's helpful in our little, literal death too. We face it head on. But every time you learn something, that's a death yeah. because you're, you're letting go of who you used to be. And for God's sake, letting things sneak up on you, letting a lesson hit you, it, it can take you out. If you yeah. don't learn, if you don't face the lesson head on and learn it before it needs to be learned, it can take you out. And, um, you know, and it might take you out anyway, but, but the, 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 the brave thing to do and the correct thing to do is to face it head on and, and to face it with consciousness. I know that I will die. And I will mm-hmm. know that I know that this will this could take me out, but I face it anyway. And I I mean that's that's an I like <laughs> I love mythology. I obviously I love storytelling. Um and there's just really no way around that. I think that yeah. that's why the Jesus story is I mean is there any more salient story that's ever been told whether you believe it or not. It's the most recognized story in the history of the world. Yeah. And that's for a reason. And and that's, and that's why it's because we, that's how we have to face our, you know, mortality. Yeah, um, absolutely. And 
yeah, so don't do drugs. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think the point being is that if, you, if you're doing drugs for an escape from your own consciousness, it will come back and it'll yeah. come back harder and it might kill you yeah. um, as it had so many. Um, but that meditation is a, is like, that is what Harry did. Basically it's a con- confrontation of, of the depths and, yeah. and what you don't know. And, and that's why people hate it. And, you know, and people say like, oh, I sat down to meditate and my mind was racing. And uh, mm-hmm. it's like, you're so, at first, especially you're going to hate it. That's yeah. like, that's by design. Your mind does not want to die. And you have to confront some things and mm-hmm. that you are holding on to. Um, so anyway, that's my diatribe. No, I like that. I like the the needing to calm down in order for that self reflection, for that mm-hmm. acknowledgement of what's to come. Right? I have a lot of clients who come see me for uh, like pornography compulsions, yeah. and just like drugs, what it boils down to is we're constantly trying to chase that dragon. We're trying to get back to that first high. We're trying to get back to those first feelings. And unfortunately, once, once it's there, it's gone. So we try to increase the drugs, increase the either amount of pornography we're using or the type of pornography we're using to chase that dragon. And if we don't take that step back and say, whoa, enough's enough, what's going on? If I keep going down this path, it will kill me. So it's all about that. Just, all right, hold on. What's going on? Is this worth it? You know, like you said, for Harry, it was because for him, calming down, stopping, asking that question, yeah, I'm going to die for my friends so everybody else can live, right? That's exactly like you said, what, what the Christ did. He died so everybody can live. It's important for us to take that step back as we're, you know, trying to recapture those feelings and saying, is this worth it? Right. Right. And, and being able to, to be mindful about that, about mm-hmm. what, what it looks like beyond this next high. Yeah. Um, and when you really get down deep and I, I think that some people maybe listening are in deep and it's not easy, you, you know, because once you've, condition your brain a certain way um, an expectant of a high from heroin for example or from anything porn or uh, I'm just using heroin because it's an extremely potent thing mm-hmm. but, you know it could be anything and once you once you've you know what it, I'll use I'll even speak for myself I love television uh, you know my mom worked a lot and I was I was raised on TV yeah and I I feel like that's my biggest vice and um now that my brain is kind of conditioned for that to be a relief it's mm-hmm. very like it, it it's hard for me to to want to stop um and it it hurts you know as silly as it sounds it's like yeah it, it hurts after a while you know and 
in the case of heroin, the withdrawals are almost unbearable. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's true for everything. It's it's it, you you dig yourself into a hole, and it gets harder. It gets harder to come out. And I and I only say that just because you know, not to sound naive, not to be like, oh well, just stop. You know, because there's a reason that people don't. And it's really hard. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um. I kind of want to get into, so this past month we've been talking about sex, sexuality, uh, and I think there's part of chasing that dragon, especially when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like the things that we've talked about, whether it's, you know, drugs, television, things like that, those are all man-made. Those are all things that have been created been invented you know i think would be a better word than created whereas sex sexuality that's all instinct that's all biology that's part of us as a species we need to reproduce we want to reproduce once puberty hits that switch is turned on and that drives us um so kind of talk to me what it was like writing uh, some of the scripts for for the subject of of sex and sexuality and how maybe some of those experiences of maybe not necessarily you chasing the dragon, but how, you know, things like that self-reflection have played a part into the script writing. Yeah. I was surprised writing the script how much shame I felt, even mm-hmm. though intellectually I knew that it was important to talk about, I still, you know, I was raised a certain way Yeah, to have shame around sex. And I, I felt weird talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I kind of just used that as I was writing. I was like, I feel weird about this. You might feel weird about this too. Yeah. We don't like to talk about sex. And you know, and I think that's why it's a bigger problem for a lot of people is because mm-hmm. it's, you know, taboo, uh, you know, tends to increase the allure for, I'm sure, a myriad of reasons. Yeah. But we have strange views around sex. And I, I think that, um, like, for me, for me I, I'm not a, a sex addict, but I, I have dealt with kind of love addiction. And I mm-hmm. think that kind of comes from my childhood that um, my parents got divorced when I was young. And, um, I kind of just wanted another mother figure in my life. I wanted somebody to like, I just felt kind of incomplete unless I had um, like a, uh, somebody in my life to kind of help take care of me, you know? Um, And uh, it took a lot of, it, it took a lot of going inward and not dating to, to straighten myself out because Invariable, and, and actually, I'm kind of still going through that, where I'm not dating currently, and because invariably, getting into these relationships, it's a toxic pattern, and it's it's the re- repetition of my parents' patterns, and that's the thing yeah. is these things are, are intergenerational; they come out, oh yeah, um, and they're difficult to break, and and in fact, let that be a relief to people to know that it is. Uh, extraordinarily difficult to break if you don't have a great relationship with sex. And mm-hmm. that is it. It's so important because if you get it straight, if you 
fix yourself up if you get, you know, um, integrated about sex is that you might help, you know, you might be the inner, you might be the generational switch where yeah. something really profound happened and that from here on out that people can, that your descendants can, can have healthier lives. And, um, so it is kind of like this, uh, we, we tend to think of things on the individual level, but it's interesting how things are really kind of grandly interconnected. But anyway. Oh yeah. Um, so talking about sex, I, we also live in a world where, you know, I told, I told the story about the goose, about how, uh, super normal reactions to eggs. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So basically like a goose, if a goose, goose's egg rolls away from their nest, they'll run to get it and they'll run faster depending on how big the egg is. So if the, if you, if a person puts an egg in their nest that's bigger than an egg could ever possibly be in nature and makes it roll away, the goose will basically have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. But because the the reaction still scales, even though it's gone beyond anything that could ever happen in nature. And this, and the scary thing is that that's that wiring, that supernormal thing, is happening to humans all of the time. So, like we see women with proportions that are beyond what are possible in nature. Yeah. Um, and, you know, porn is the strangest thing in terms of what it makes us think sex is and should be like. Um, and I think that that, you know, that can be like a drug where you're getting stronger and stronger um, chemical releases from watching this stuff that yeah. maybe even like real life doesn't do it for you anymore. And so I think, again, because we live in this strange world, and, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier when I was saying, like, we live in a world and we kind of need discipline in order to survive in it because we just have circumstances that we never had before. And, and I think porn and the prevalence of porn is one of those things. It's, yeah. You're going to be unhealthy. You're going to have a bad relationship with sex unless you're proactive and you do something about it. So, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of sums up what we've been circling around sex. And and I think because you also have had to talk to people with porn addictions and stuff, I'm curious how you tend to talk to, to folks like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Cause like you said, um, porn is the, unfortunately has kind of become the ideal of what a healthy sex life should be. And it's the exact opposite. And you get into these scenarios where a lot of times people's first introduction of porn is at a very young age, Mm -hmm. well before puberty sets in. So our brains don't know what to do with all of this information, right? Like you said, there's a lot of shame surrounding the topic of sex And as a little kid, there's even more shame around it because of that forbiddenness. And usually the first question I ask clients that come in for uh, either pornography or or sex work, uh, it's what age did you get exposed to this? And I will bet you my entire salary, you went through every single emotion all at once. 
you felt excited, you felt shamed, you felt happy, you felt guilty, you felt scared, you felt nervous, you felt happy, you, you name the emotion, you felt it in that split second, all at once. And that kind of goes back to chasing the dragon that we talked about. Because so many chemicals go off at once, we're never going to recreate that. Right. But our brains want to. So they're constantly going back to sex. Mm-hmm. Or not sex, but pornography. Um, because sex is supposed to be an intimate thing. It's supposed to be a very natural, humanistic thing. That takes a long time to get to. You know, you're traditionally, you're supposed to court somebody. You're supposed to be in a relationship long term before we see each other naked. But now with porn, you're two clicks away from hardcore sexual content. And it completely gets away from that intimacy and that connection. Totally. Totally. And I think it's definitely man biased as well. Mm -hmm. And I think in in terms of what you were describing, I think women are being forced to pretend to enjoy sex way sooner than they would feel comfortable. And and that's absolutely Um, not to overgeneralize, but just, you know, I I think maybe more feminine people in general or or whatever it is. I I think that I've just speaking from my own experience and, and, with women, I think that it's difficult for me to want to take my time because that's not the way that I've been trained. Yeah. Um, and I think that the expectation has just been shifted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I think like sex for women um, is so much about like safety and security and trust. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I, th- I think that that's a. I think that it's a shame like how often women fake enjoying sex and things mm-hmm. like that and are not enjoying sex and yeah I think you know we've been we've been sold something the people who make porn uh want they're selling you porn and yeah. and they've crafted your brain to want more of it you know knowingly or not and I think that they shouldn't have that power, you know? And and I think that, you know, it's just like Pandora's box. And I think the, you know, what I was going to say earlier is the inspiring thing is that we can train ourselves out of this sort of thinking, even if you're an adult and you've been thinking like this your entire life. I I think that like you can train yourself into a healthy relationship with sex. It might take time, Mm -hmm. but, um, a fully, like trusting, um, engaged, intimate. Uh, once I think once you've experienced that and you have a partner where that, that you've worked over a long period of time to achieve that, yeah. I think once you feel that and you see that, you're like, this is it. You know, this is like, um, I guess, you know, it's like feeling a state if we're talking about more life more in general. Mm-hmm. It's like, whenever you feel a state of constant well-being because you've been doing the self-care work for a long time, you're like, this is it. This is, yeah. this is it. And it's not this jolts of cocaine highs or, or whatever drug that 
get you there momentarily, but for a horrible price. Um, yeah, I think the analogy works there. And so, yeah, I just think that, you know, the hope is there, yeah. but, you know, I, and you know, it, with freedom comes more discipline. I don't want to turn people off to it, but I've just found that, you know, my life starts to take shapes and it starts to have meaning whenever I give it shape and whenever mm-hmm. I don't just like let whatever whim take me. Yeah. You know? And uh, to go along with that, something that I'm finding interesting more and more come up uh, as I do like premarital work with couples that are engaged um, is like you said, it's so pornography, so man focused and mm-hmm. focuses so much on men pleasure over that mutual intimacy mm-hmm. that I have a lot of uh, women who are engaged want to know what's normal in a sex life because their partner uh, ha- has a history with pornography. They don't know if their soon-to-be husbands want to do this certain thing or that certain thing because it's them wanting it or because they've seen it in uh, in porn and think it's acceptable or it's normal. Yeah. It can be difficult to know, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so that, as you're talking with it being so one-sided, it's interesting to, to kind of see more and more engaged couples come in uh, with one partner wanting to know, are, are you doing this because you want to, because this is what you think is healthy, or because you saw it in a video and she enjoyed it, so I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. I think that I think that I go against the norm a little bit, and you might too, uh, in regards to how I feel about sex. I, I mean, I'm completely mm-hmm. open to whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah, and especially because, like, I think that I think that it's good to to know where your limits are, and it's good to, as long as you're not harming anybody, to try things. And mm-hmm. um, you know, there's that study I'm just thinking about that um, kids who in school did a bunch of drugs. Obviously they, they didn't turn out great in terms of life fulfillment, but kids who re- who refrained entirely and never tried any drugs also didn't do well. They tended mm-hmm. to be on the nervous dependent side of things. Yeah. Um, and so the life is about a little bit of experimentation. So again, so I guess all that to say, I'm, I'm not, there's no judgment, but I just keep finding that, um, you know, it's good to question. It's like, where is this drive coming from? What does yeah. it mean? Because people have this inclination, I think, sometimes that, you know, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, I want to do that. But it's like, you know, it it can be about, um, I don't know, just a word that pops in my head is like, it can be about domination mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and that might not be in line with how your partner feels about you in normal life. And that might be a little bit, uh, scary or like kind of weird, um, to see that darkness come out, uh, in a sexual way. Um, not to say that you can't express yourself, but it's good to just know yourself in that way. Yeah. What are you trying to express that might be darkness? Cause we all, you know, I, I, I'm a big proponent of, um, depth psychology, um, mm-hmm. uh, just meaning like, 
I, I don't think like Freud, for example, on the other end of the spectrum said like, we have super egos and you basically have to just shut out your emotions. Yeah. And I, I actually think that, um, we have to integrate all of our emotions, even the dark ones to kind of work with our purpose. So instead of, uh, a dragon preventing us from facing our fears, take that same dragon, put it behind you and get it to force you into your, where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a little uh, visualization, you know, instead of wasting all your energy fighting this dragon, just put it to use. So anyway, yeah. um, but it's good to know that you have these dragons and it's not, you're not a bad person for, for, for being, for having darkness in you. Humanity mm-hmm. has darkness in it. Um, the chances and <laughs> the chances of, if you were, uh, in Germany in the, in the thirties, the chances that you would be one of the very, very few that stood up for what was right. It's unlikely. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's good to know, you know, we want to be brave and we want to stand up for what's right, even in the face of an entire country that's doing something that's, that's evil. But it's good to know that we have darkness in us and that once you, you can't really take yourself, you can't really respect yourself until you acknowledge that darkness, until you start to communicate with it and negotiate with it. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes it's scary for partners, like maybe that you speak to, who are seeing like a darkness in their, in their partner and they're like, I don't see this from you in the day. And, and suddenly in the bedroom you have this mm-hmm. side of you that I don't understand. And maybe they don't understand it either. No, definitely. And that's where a lot of kind of what we've been talking about with vulnerability and communication and mm-hmm. quite frankly, trust, right? Uh, especially around sex, it's the most vulnerable act there is. Yeah. And we're putting our complete trust in somebody because we are so vulnerable. We're, we're naked. We're there. We have nothing to protect ourselves. And being able to communicate those feelings, to communicate those those doubts, those frustrations, those worries, whatever the emotion is, being able to to talk to your partner and actually say, "Hey, what's going on? What? Why are we doing this? Why the sudden change? Or you know, what's this?" It's important because it could be just that natural exploration of, "Oh, I was just thinking about this and want to give it a whirl." Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The the communication with your partner and even the communication internally, because I think that a lot of times we're we we don't understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking from my experience, um, and that it can be scary and difficult to have to be to be honest with yourself. I think that's a person that you probably lie to the most often is yourself. Yeah. Um, about what you really want, and that doesn't mean. And like I was talking about the darkness earlier, it doesn't mean that you have to act out any of that stuff, but you have to know that you have it yeah. so that you can talk with it. Because because if you don't negotiate with it, if you don't talk to it, if you don't know that it exists in you, it'll come out in unconscious ways. And if it comes out in unconscious ways, then it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you being depressed or you being uh, irritable with your partner and you don't really know why. Um, that's, you know, I... I would guess unexplored darkness. I wonder what your thoughts about that are. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, There's a lot of, and kind of going back to it, there's a lot of shame Mm -hmm. with it as well, you know, Um, kind of that shame of what's this person going to think of me? I I think that's one of the biggest reasons why conversations like this don't happen is one, yes, we're afraid of the subject matter and it is daunting. But on the second, it's what's this person going to think of me? Because we, like you've, you've said earlier, we live in a society where it's so outward and it's so much about appearances. And if we ask questions, if we start doing these discussions, we run the risk of having somebody be like, oh, what the hell was that about? What the heck is this? This is what I signed up for. This isn't who I know. And if that happens, then who are they going to tell? And then who are they going to tell? And then by the time it gets to our boss, the next person we're in a relationship with, family members, how much of it's going to be twisted and skewed. And at that point, we really can't say anything to our defense, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's gone through so many layers and through so many channels. So I think that's part of the reason why these conversations are so hard. um, Because of that aspect of what's this person going to think? Yeah. It's totally understandable. We all just want to be okay. We want to be accepted. We have a terrible fear of being ostracized. Mm-hmm. Understandably, you know, we don't want to be left out of the tribe. And um, but the truth is really important, even though it's hard. Yeah. Um, I've found that to be true for me. I'm not just saying that to be kind of saccharine. I'm, you know, I, I didn't always believe that. And I always, I thought maybe, you know, (laughs) I remember I heard somebody say once, I think it was probably on a TV show, but I learned at a young age that if I talked long enough, I could make anything true or not true. Mm -hmm. So either I'm God or truth is relative. And I thought, okay, yeah, that might, that sounds right. (laughs) And (laughs) And it took it the the moment that I realized that that is like <laughs> that's like literally like probably like the tagline of Satan um, uh, was like oh okay but I had to know for myself I had to know mm-hmm. that actually like truth is inner truth yeah and we can't lie to ourselves and there is there is something. There is something like truth to be said, and it's mm-hmm. really important. Um, and you have to, like, you have to listen to yourself. And you know, a lot you were talking about. I don't know who this person is, or talking about a partner. And it's like, yeah, we don't know who we are. Yeah. We're getting into in these relationships where, as soon as we're committed, the other person's like, okay, uh, now you're stuck with me. This is what I'm really like. And it's like, yeah. We think that we're uniquely sick and we think our partner is uniquely sick and we, we're resentful of both. And that resentment mm-hmm. comes out in horrible ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's no wonder that, that life is, is uh, m- more failure than success. Yeah. 
and I don't mean that in a grim way. I'm just saying like it's okay that we're constantly failing because this this stuff is really like almost seems paradoxical and self defeating and mm-hmm. yeah. And I think the only way to way forward is just to learn how to talk to each other. Yeah, and, and just to be honest about how we're feeling, and I don't know, it's tough. And I, I think it's also important to be honest and upfront as soon as possible, right? Because a lot of times we, when we first go on those initial dates, we naturally put our best foot forward, and we don't let some of those demons or like you said, that darkness come out, whatever it is. Uh, and it, we end up getting to a point where we are in a relationship and then our partner feels lied to. Yeah. What, but instead it should be one of those where, Hey, I know it's early on. I have some faults, you know, I don't necessarily have to go into all the, the nitty gritty and all the details, but just so you know, like, this is me. And I want to let you know before either of us are too far into this relationship. Yeah. And that is very scary to admit in those first couple dates that we're not perfect. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, um, a school of life is a, like a YouTube channel. With mm-hmm. philosophy stuff and one of the things that they say on there is a good thing to say on dates is uh how are you crazy and these are the ways that i'm crazy <laughs> i like I that think it's good to, i think it's good to to talk about and you know I, it's surprising i think that I, I don't know if you can hear my dog eating <laughs> i um, can but it's okay you can yeah Okay. Yeah, he's uh, he decided to chow down. Um, uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, oh yeah, it can be it can be off or disarming and, and charming mm-hmm. whenever we're honest in that way. Um, people appreciate bravery more than you think, but you can't go in and just kind of expecting praise. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think that life tends to reward uh, truth in that way. Maybe not right at first, but it does. And it, it's interesting because as you were speaking of that, the, the phrase that came to my mind was, it's a breath of fresh air yeah. for somebody to be so vulnerable or so open, which sounds good, but it, it's kind of one of those backhanded comments, right? Because mm-hmm. we should be able to talk about these things openly from the very get-go, as opposed to it being outside the norm to to be vulnerable and say hey this is why i'm crazy it can be it can also just be difficult to know how you're crazy yeah Um, which i think going back to you know self-reflection i think is really important yeah um but that's you know if we want to live a if we want to be if we want to live a life that's meaningful and i don't and i almost said happy but i don't think happy is the goal here Mm -hmm. you know because uh, you know, I think Nietzsche said that give a man any why and he can, no, excuse me. Yes. I think it's give a man any, give a man a why and he can withstand any how. Yeah. Um, I think that the, we're at the times in our lives that are most meaningful are sometimes when we're not very happy. Um, in fact, I've, I've, 
you know, I, I lot losing loved ones and weeping really honestly. Mm-hmm. You can, you can, in that moment, sometimes I think you can be like, wow, this feels right. This feels good. Yeah. It, I'm definitely not happy, but I think that I'm experiencing life the right way. I think that I have meaning in this moment. I think that that's the difference. And I think that what we're, what we're going for is meaning mm-hmm. and not comfort and not happiness. Um, although those are nice bonuses. Yeah. But yeah. So I think, I think that the, the struggle is worth it if you, if you realize that you, if you give yourself a how, mm-hmm. excuse me, if you give yourself a why, if you give yourself, yeah. if you know why, why, you, why you're here. And, and it's not, you know, whatever you believe, it's not just given to you. You don't wake up out of childhood and go, okay, you're a therapist, Matthew. Um, go out and make the world a better place. You have to find it. And, and I bet some of your adolescent and late adolescent years where you maybe weren't sure what you were going to do were really hard. Yeah. No, there were definitely times where uh, I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't have that motivation to go out and do it. You know, at, at those points, it was a nice dream to have, but that's all it was ever going to be was just a dream. There was no sustenance behind it. Right. Because dreams are untainted. They, they aren't tainted with our failure, Yeah, uh, which is a sure part of the path. So yeah, it's also no wonder why people have dreams and they never chase them and they never, Mm -hmm. you know, and good for you for, for, for helping people with what you do. I think that's wonderful. Oh, definitely. And I mean, you as well, you're a huge part of, of helping people, not only through, through this podcast, but you know, comedy is the best medicine (laughs) and being able to make people laugh and forget the world for a little bit is, I would argue just as therapeutic and just as good as therapy. Well, thank you. I I tend to agree. I, I do think that, um, I love that comedy is kind of like this, you go up there and you, and you kind of fail for everyone. Yeah. And I think that the laughter is kind of this recognition is like, oh, life is silly and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's great. That makes me happy. And it makes me happy to get to, um, I know that I, uh, I, I'm very fulfilled to, to be working with you about this and uh, on, yeah. the, on the podcast. And I do hope that people out there getting something from it. Nope. I likewise. And, uh, I think so too. We, we talked a little bit off, uh, off camera We're we're recording audio off audio, mm-hmm. um, about looking at numbers and, and seeing how many people we affect. Uh, for me, it's not necessarily about the numbers, but locations, uh, because we are one human species. So I look at the continents and countries and states and uh, I'm pleased to say that we are downloaded and we're listened to every country in the world on every continent, uh, which, which is awesome. Uh, so I definitely do think that people uh, are getting something out of this. And I'm glad that it's not just here in the U S but it's literally because of the technology all over the world. Yeah. And I know we never done 
an episode like this where we're discussing things and it's a little more mm-hmm. long form. I say we're an hour. Well, I guess we talked for about 15 minutes or so about an hour and 15 minutes of talking. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the react. I mean, I've, I've done other podcasts long form and I enjoy a long form podcast. I like mm-hmm. to, cause I think it's like a, you sit down and you're like listening to a conversation. I know it's kind of the opposite of what we're going for with the pod, with, with the regular episodes where it's like, uh. You can finish it and you can just be done with it. And, and we might, uh, you mentioned breaking this up into several pieces and that might be what, what this is as well. Um, but hope, you know, if people dig it, if they uh, like hearing the behind the scenes a little bit, um, because with the, with the episodes, I tend to clean up my thinking because I tend mm-hmm. to think in kind of like long, <laughs> never ending diatribes, um, and I try to clean that up for the listener. Um, but I also think there's value in, in kind of hearing the whole process as well. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. No, very nice. Um, just real quick, wrapping up, any final words, anything you want to say to to the people listening? Well, I mean, I have – it's at taylorforman.com. And if you need any kind of story told uh, – I, I mean, I've wor- I work with people writing books and then, of course, Matthew with his podcast, people writing scripts. Um, I've written scripts. I've written books, short stories. Um, I just love storytelling. And I think the, 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 the nexus of that is I love storytelling and I love communicating with people on a deep level and understanding what story they want to tell and helping them tell it. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I started doing that just with my friends. You know, they would send me drafts of things, and I think that it made them very happy when I would read it and understand it deeply and uh, give them lots of encouragement. So I, that just lights me up. That's why I bring it up. Um, so if anybody out there wants to have a conversation like this, really, um, talk to me about what you're making, taylorforman.com. Nice. Anywhere that they can see comedy online, or do you have to be in LA for that? Um, typically, you'd have to be in LA. There are some videos, but they're like they were just kind of recorded for like agent purposes because it's like live comedy, so it doesn't exactly translate. But that gotcha. stuff is on my website as well. You can see my live comedy um, and the audiences I performed in front of, as well as my other stuff and uh, the stuff I've done with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. What about uh, you? Well, Any, what are your your wrap up points? Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I the the joys about my wrap up is uh, for better or for worse, I'm kind of the voice of the podcast. Oh, you have a great so, point. <laughs> uh, so my my wrap up suggests uh, thanks for listening. If you find any of this helpful please uh share it with somebody who who could use it and definitely don't feel f- uh that you can't reach out to somebody yeah. whether it's me or you know somebody local definitely if if you feel stuck if you feel lost if you feel like any of this makes sense you don't know why you don't know how or even if it doesn't and you want to know why or how uh definitely reach out to uh, to a professional for that please yeah i mean 
I'm I'm open and frank about this just because I hope it helps other people feel less alone. But I've been in a uh, I've had suicidal ideation in my life, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of felt like there was no way out. And I just want to echo what you said that there, get help, talk to somebody. Their life, I mean, it's incredible over here. I feel great, and yeah. and I didn't always, and and it's not obvious how to get out, but. I swear there's a way. Yeah. I just don't want to lose any, you know, anybody else. So, um, yeah, you matter. Talk to somebody, but yeah, definitely. I I appreciate working with you, Matthew. It's really a pleasure. And, um, as always, um, you know, let's keep communicating. Oh, absolutely. Let me hold on. I want to thank you so much for listening today. Where we put our attention is what our lives are made of. And I thank you for letting me be a part of your life today. If any of this was helpful to you, please share it with someone you love. If you have a moment, please leave a review Anything you can write down about the podcast would mean the world to me. I don't know about you, but I always check the reviews before I start a new podcast. So if you think someone would like this, please help them out by writing a review. I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I hope something from this episode and it makes your life a little brighter.